today we're going to continue the series on Born Free from Sin and uh, just to recap on where we have gotten up to thus far. In the previous teaching we had a look at the fact there are in fact two different types of sin um, that are dealt with differently by the Lord in Scripture and we saw that the two types of sin are known sin and unknown sin and uh, we needed to identify the fact that there are these two different types of sin because in order for us to get our minds around uh, the fact that we can actually walk free from sin, we need to uh, uh, differentiate between known sin and unknown sin. And we looked at the two passages of Scripture that uh, the Apostle John wrote. And the one he wrote was that um, one who is born of God cannot sin and does not sin. And then in the other passage that he wrote, um, he said anybody who says he does not have sin deceives himself and the truth is not in him. And so we said that those two passages of Scripture from the same apostle are seemingly contradictory in nature. But when we have a look, had a look at the fact that there are in fact these two different categories of sin, or types of sin, uh, referred to as known sin and unknown sin, we can then clearly, more clearly understand what it is that the Apostle John was saying. Um, because we saw that all believers... Um, even the Apostle Paul, who said of himself, he said, I know of nothing against myself. Nevertheless, I'm not by that justified, for the Lord is my judge. And so the Apostle Paul had recognized that he had no known sin, for he said, I know of nothing against myself. But that, he said that didn't excuse him, because uh, the Lord was his judge. And so Paul recognized that even though he might not know of any sin that he had committed, Nevertheless, the chances were quite strong that he, in fact, had been committing sin. And we saw that there is such a thing as unknown sin or unintentional sin, sins that are committed in ignorance. And we looked at the Old Testament. We saw that on the Day of Atonement that the, the Jews had their unintentional sins, their sins of ignorance, cleansed once a year. During the year, they were, were required to offer up their sacrifice for any known sin that they had committed. But once a year, God cleansed the whole nation uh, through the atoning sacrifice. And so we looked at the fact that when we walk under the new covenant, we need to be walking in fellowship with our Lord Jesus. And in Him is no sin. And so it's impossible for one to walk in sin and walk in fellowship with the Lord at the same time. For once we walk in sin, we, we walk in darkness, and light and darkness cannot fellowship. So we saw that the way that the Lord deals with the unintentional sin and the sins of ignorance that the Christians commit um, is that he applies the blood of the Lamb continuously to those sins, thus cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And it was in that same passage that uh, the Apostle John spoke about the fact that he says that if anyone says he has no sin, he deceives himself. In that same passage, uh, John says... Um, he who walks in the light as he is in the light uh, has fellowship with, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he goes on to say, if anyone says he has no sin, he deceives himself. And so because we are required under the new covenant to walk in constant fellowship with the Lord, um, the Lord has to deal with our unknown sin, not once a year as he did under the old covenant, but he deals with our unknown sin, sins of ignorance, sins committed unintentionally, 
Uh, he deals with them automatically, straight away, as those sins are committed. That scripture says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, present tense, from all sin. And so those unintentional sins, the Lord is cleansing by his blood all the time, which enables the believer to therefore walk in fellowship with the Lord. But in order for us to enjoy that, we said we have to apply 1 John 1, 9. And the scripture says that if any man sins or if any of us sin, uh, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it is only known sin that we can confess. And so we confess those sins before the Lord. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he cleanses us then from all unrighteousness. And once again, we are in fellowship with the Lord. And so that's uh, how we can explain the two seemingly contradictory statements that the Apostle John makes in that he says in the one instance he who is born of God does not sin and cannot sin because he's born of God and in the other instance he says anyone says he has no sin he deceives himself it's because um, the, the first passage he's referring to the spirit but also the fact that we can walk free from sin and in the second passage he's talking about all our unintentional sins that we commit and how the Lord actually deals with them and so we also said that um, when we come into the kingdom of God and we're born again, our known sins are very little and our un unknown sins are very high because we just know so little about this kingdom walk that we're in. But as we grow in the things of God, so the, the scales begin to uh, tilt in the other direction in that our known sins that we commit now become more and our unknown sins become less. Because God writes his laws upon our hearts and into our minds when we um, grow into the things of God and we learn things out of the word of God. God then places those laws into our hearts. And so if we then transgress those laws going forward, that it becomes a known sin to us. It is no longer under the category of unknown sin. And so it doesn't get cleansed automatically by the blood of the Lamb. Now what we have to do is we have to confess those sins in order to receive forgiveness for those sins and so we're not going to go into any more depth i just wanted to bring us up to speed as to where we were in the previous teaching today what we want to look at are the various steps that we should take and what we have to take as believers in order to be able to walk free from sin up until now what we've been discussing is the nature of the makeup of man him being a spirit being and and the flesh uh, and the flesh can only commit sin, and the spirit can only walk in righteousness. We've looked at the nature of sin, the fact that there is these two categories of sin, known and unknown sin, and how God deals with each one. And so that's purely uh, information purposes so that we can have a better understanding of how it is possible for Christians to be able to walk free from sin. So today we want to actually look at uh, certain steps that individuals, believers, can and should take in their lives in order for them to be able to walk free from sin. And so the very first step that we have to take as believers in order to be able to walk free from sin, because again, we also looked at the fact that our Lord has cleansed us from all sin. He's paid the price for our sins. And so all of these truths that the church understands very clearly, this particular truth about the Christian being able to walk free from sin uh, is not a truth that is very clearly understood in the body of Christ. And so that is why we spend a bit of time teaching on it, because 
again in the book of Romans chapter 14 the Bible says we need to be fully convinced in our own minds before we can uh, walk in a uh, truth of, of the Bible before we can apply our faith to that truth and thus walk in it and so we're having to overcome mindsets that are in the in the church and the mindset is primarily this that it is impossible to walk free from sin and so in this life we as believers are kind of bound by sin we cannot walk free from this sin uh, the Lord has paid the price for our sins and he cleansed us from our old sins and when we do sin he, can, he forgives us our sins but we're, uh, the, the, the thinking process is that we are condemned to a lifestyle of sin between now and when we leave this planet to be with the Lord but that's not the Bible at all the Lord doesn't teach his saints that they are meant to continue in sin Paul asks the question he says shall we continue in sin uh, Romans chapter 6 that grace may abound. And he answered the question by saying, certainly not. And so we're not meant to continue in sin. And so we're looking at the various steps today that we should be taking as believers in order for us to be able to walk free from sin. Now, don't forget, we're talking purely about known sin. We're not talking about unknown sin because I can't um, be held accountable. God does not hold me accountable for sin that I commit in ignorance, sin, my sin, my unintentional sins that I commit, because I just don't know that I've committed those sins. And so we dealt with how God deals with those sins. So again, the teaching is not the case of Christians um, never sin. That's not the teaching. The teaching is Christians can walk free from sin, and the sin that we discussed, we, we, we're talking about is the known sin so in other words when a christian knows that it's wrong to commit adultery the christian can walk free from committing adultery when a christian knows that it's wrong to commit murder the christian can walk free from committing murder from the time that they know that truth until the time they go home to be with the lord they are not condemned to a lifestyle of committing murder for the rest of their christian walk now i know that that sounds very facetious but i'm just trying to highlight the truth that it, and because, as I say, the, 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 the mindset in the church by and large is it is impossible to walk free from sin. So just you know, accept that that is your lot in life. As a Christian, you're going to commit sin. And I'm saying no in the series of teachings. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so when we know that we must not commit murder, there's not a lot of Christians that um, really have to believe and exercise their faith not to commit murder uh, on a regular basis until they go to be with the Lord. They just don't walk in that. And the ones also who know not to commit adultery, they just don't walk in that. And so if we can walk free from what are termed as bigger sins, well, then we can also walk free from the other sins, like lying to, to one another, um, things like that. We can walk free from all of it. But it is obviously the known sin that I'm, I'm emphasizing in this teaching. It is not the unknown sin. So the very first step that we have to take in order to be able to walk free from sin is we actually have to believe it. We have to believe that it is possible for us to walk free from sin. Why do I say that? Well, the scripture says to us very plainly, the just shall live by faith. There's no other way that the just live. Now, I know we walk in love. But even love only came after faith because we first believed the gospel and when we were saved, then it was that God poured out his love into our hearts and we could then love him even as he loved us. So faith is the first step. 
and it, it takes faith to activate the power of God in our lives. We can receive nothing from God except by faith, and that is why God has decreed, He doesn't decree the just shall live by love. The Lord commands us to love one another, and that is a commandment that we walk in. But nevertheless, the, the God decrees that the just shall live by faith. And so it is by faith that we appropriate the love of God in our hearts and we walk in that love. It's not a case of, I, I'm, I feel I have the love of God in me and so I can now walk in it. I have to believe I have the love of God in me and then I can walk in it and display it to others around me. And obviously, uh, the Bible says, we love Him because He first loved us. And so, but the, the, the point is that very clear that the just shall live by faith. So if we're going to live and walk free from sin, we have to believe it. If we choose not to believe it, well, then that just closes the door straight away. You cannot walk in something you don't believe. You can only walk in something you believe. So what do we have to believe? Uh, you know, most, I think all Christians believe Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus has cleansed us from all of our sins. And Jesus has paid the price for our sins. But very few Christians believe that Jesus enables me to walk free from sin. Now that is what we have to believe. We have to attach our faith to the truth that Jesus has not only cleansed me from my sin, paid the price for my sin, um, um, and washed me from all sin, and He forgives me for all sin whenever I come to Him and I commit sin, I'm a, I, I can confess my sin, and He's faithful and just to forgive me my sin. Now we can believe all that, but what we need to be attaching our faith to in this series of teaching is the fact that Jesus has made provision for me as a believer to walk free from all known sin. Forget about the unknown sin, we've dealt with that in the previous teaching. So that is something we have to believe. One of the scriptures we can look at to highlight that truth for us, because we obviously, we, you know, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we go to the Word of God to find out what the Word of God says on a subject, once we know what God says about the subject, well then we, we have to renew our minds to think as God says in His Word. So we've always thought up until a point in time something about how we should behave. We read something in the Word of God. God reveals to us His truth of His Word and faith comes by hearing that Word and, and we then apply our faith to it and then we can walk in it. And so it's, we always have to go to the Word of God in order for us to be able to apply our faith in that. And so here's the scripture we want to look at in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so he has a spiritual truth right there. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, past tense, not, not, not is making me, not will make me, but has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is applicable in this age. It is not applicable in heaven. So it's not a case of when I get to heaven, well, then I'll be free from the law of sin and death. 
No, I'm, I'm free from the law of sin and death now. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, past tense, made me free from the law of sin and death. And so as a believer in this life, I have already been made free from the law of sin and death. Very important. Again, it's a mindset that we have to get our minds around. We have to see what the scripture actually says on the subject. And we have to become fully convinced in our minds that that is the truth. When we become fully convinced in our minds that is the truth, then we can believe it. And when we believe it, we'll walk in it. Because then the power of God will be released in our lives. Because it is only that when we exercise faith that God's power is released. Without faith, God's power is cut off. There's no power there. And without the power of God, none of this becomes a reality in our lives. We need this to be reality. In order for it to become real, it is only the power of God that can make it real. In order for the power of God to be made available to us to walk in this, we have to believe it. In order for us to believe it, we have to become fully convinced in our minds that this is the truth. And so that's the first point he says, that Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is how Jesus did it. The scripture says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, present tense, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what is he saying here? The Holy Spirit is teaching us that under the Old Covenant, there was the law that was given through Moses. But nobody could keep the law. They kept breaking the law. No matter how many times, how often they tried, how hard they tried, they just couldn't get it right. The scripture said, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. And so the law was weak through the flesh because we saw in the earlier section of this series of teachings that sin resides in the flesh. Now talk about new covenant and old covenant saint. So under the old covenant, they had the law, but they still lived in a body of, of, of sin. And the law in itself saying to them, thou shalt not, was not powerful enough to give them, or it could not impart power to them so that they could walk in thou shalt not. And because sin was in their flesh, even though the law said thou shalt not, they still did. And so they couldn't overcome uh, sin in the flesh. So what God did, the scripture says, because the, the law, this, um, this, the scripture said, because what the law could not do and it was weak through the flesh, God did. And so God has done it for us. And how did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, how did Jesus do that? He's not talking about when Jesus went to the cross, he condemned sin in the flesh, although that is part of it as well. But he speaks about the fact that he, God did what the old covenant saints couldn't do because of the weakness of their flesh. So what God did is he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, he didn't send his son in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. So that means that the body that Jesus Christ dwelt in when he was on the earth 
is a body that is similar it was, it was a body in the likeness of the bodies that we dwell in for we dwell in bodies of sinful flesh we've already seen that earlier in this teaching that sin resides in these bodies so Jesus came to the earth and was born into a body that was in the likeness of sinful flesh now it wasn't sinful flesh but it was in the likeness of sinful flesh you say well what does that mean <laughs> there's certain things that are, are not crystal clear to us in scripture we just take that by faith and then God said that the body of Jesus was in the likeness of sinful flesh. So what that means is that Jesus' body was subject to the same temptations as our bodies are. Um, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he was made, made in all points like his brethren, um, so that he could be a faithful high priest. And so Jesus was subject to the same temptations that we're subject to, which is why he is able to give us aid. Uh, when we go before his throne of grace to ask for help. But when he came to the earth, even though he dwelt in a body that was subject to the same passions that my body is subject to, subject to the same uh, sinful desires that my body is subject to, Jesus never once ever committed any sin. And so he walked from the time that he was born into the earth until the time that he died, he walked a sinless lifestyle and so he was able to condemn sin in the flesh because sin couldn't exercise any dominion over him because he just didn't allow it to and he just overcame sin in the flesh now we can't do that but Jesus in us can and so the scripture says in the book of Galatians for it is no longer I who live but it is Christ Jesus who lives in me and so it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, that enables me to walk even as he walked. That's why the Apostle John says, if we abide in him, um, we, he, he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. And so if we abide in Christ, we ought to walk just as Christ walked. Why? Because Christ in us enables us to walk as he walked. He walked free from all sin. And so he has already done it for us. He's lived this life, just like we do now, free from sin. He never once committed any sin. He dwells within us by his Spirit. He empowers us by his Spirit to do exactly what he did. And so he's condemned sin in the flesh. So what could not be done, mankind couldn't do it on their own. We needed the Savior. We needed a, a Son of God to come here and do it for us. He has. He's come here. He's done it for us. Now He dwells within us. And so He's well able to do it again. As He did it when He walked in His flesh, so He's able to do it as He walks in my flesh. And so I too can overcome sin in the flesh because I have the one who's already done it living in me and through me, enabling me to walk in it. And so that is the, the, the starting point. We have to believe uh, that we can do that. Not in and of ourselves. It is Christ in us who can do it through us. And that's where the faith comes in. Because it is faith that releases the power of God, which enables us to walk as we ought to walk free from sin because he the scripture says Christ Jesus has made me past tense free from the law of sin and death and he did it 
in this manner, in that he walked free from sin when he walked on the earth. And now he, inside me, enables me to do exactly the same thing. And that's where we have to attach our faith to. We have to believe. We, we, I doubt, there's, really, there's no Christians that I know of that, could, that doubt the fact that Jesus never committed sin. Every, all Christians acknowledge Jesus lived a, a sinless life on the earth. So we believe that. What we have to believe is Christ dwells in us. And Christ lives through us. The Bible is very plain on that subject. And so that same Jesus can live through me in that same manner. And so I have the potential. I have the, ability, the, the potential to walk in His ability to walk free from known sin. Again, let's stay with the concept of known sin. Forget about unknown sin that God deals with. But I have this potential in me because of the power of God released through me to be able to walk free from known sin. But I have to believe it. If I choose not to believe it, well then the power of God cannot be made manifest through me in this area. Yeah, it doesn't mean I'm not saved. I'm still, I still believe in my salvation in Christ Jesus. I just don't believe that I can walk free from sin. Now, if I choose not to believe that, well, I can't. Then, you know, God's power is not involved. I will try. I will try. And that's what most Christians actually do live. They try and live like the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints saw the word of God said, thou shalt not. And so they tried to the best of their ability not to do that. But they kept slipping up. And most Christians live like that. But that's how, how the New Testament saint is called to live. The New Testament saint is called to live as Christ lived. Now we can only do that if Christ lives through us. That's what the word Christian means, little Christ. And that, that's where the church got the, the name from. The Apostle Paul understood the concept, the, the gospel message of it being Christ in us, the hope of glory. Old Testament saints, that was, not, that was an impossibility. Christ did not live in them. But under the New Testament, Christ lives in us. And that is why we are called Christians, little, little Christs, because it is Christ living in us. And so that's the very first step we have to take. We have to believe that Christ in us can enable us to walk even as he walked in this area. Let's forget about all the other areas of our Christian walk for now. We're dealing purely with known sin, the area of known sin. And so our mindset has to change. Remember I said to you right at the outset of this teaching again, is that we have to become fully convinced in our minds that this is the truth of the gospel. Once we are fully convinced this is the truth, well, now I can attach my faith to it and believe it. And then... When I do that, then the power of God is released and I will find myself walking in it. But the hurdle that we have to overcome is convincing ourselves in our minds, becoming fully convinced as to what the Word of God actually says on the subject. And so it's a mindset that has to change. Let's look at another passage of Scripture that helps us to understand that truth. And that is in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Um, the Scripture says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And I've already quoted that. But he goes on to explain it. He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And we dealt with that when we right at the outset of the series of teaching, where we dealt with the fact that the old man dies. And so he says, how shall we who died to sin 
live any longer in it. So he's saying, it's actually, when, when a Christian lives in sin, they're actually living in a perverse manner. Because the old man has died, so, you know, how can you, now as the new man, continue living in sin? Because that's the old man who does that, not the new man. Verse 11, he says, Likewise you also, now look at this, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We're not touching on law and grace in today's teaching. But the point that he makes very clear here is that it's our mindset that we have to change. For he says in verse um, verse 11, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it's, it's, when he says reckon yourselves, it's how you think about yourself. You need to think about the truth of what the Word of God says about the subject. And God has said the old man has died. And when that happened, we died to sin. And he said you need to reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. And so once you, you have this mindset that sin is not a part of my life, for I've died to sin. My old man died, and when that happened, I died to sin. I'm now alive to God in Christ Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ Jesus who lives in me and through me. And when you start thinking along those lines, well, then you start to become more and more convinced that sin's actually not a part of my life anymore. For he says, um, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Whose choice is that? It's ours. God doesn't stop us from committing sin. We choose not to commit sin. He says, therefore, you believe. I'm putting the you believe that. But he's, 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 he's talking about us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And he says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Um, and so do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. So the reality of it is, is that the new man on the inside, as we said, cannot sin, only can walk in righteousness. And we need to be walking in that reality. But that we can only walk in that reality when our mindset changes to say, wait a minute, I've died to sin. Sin has no part in my life as a believer. I'm alive to God, and I'm alive to righteousness. And so I do not let sin reign in my mortal body. I do not present my members as instruments of unrighteousness, but I present my members as instruments of righteousness. And I walk in righteousness before God because I am a new creation. I'm alive from the dead. I'm a son of the Most High God. In Him is no sin. And in His Son, born of Him, also is no sin. And I choose to walk in that. And so it's a choice that we make. Um, but we can only make the choice. God, God gives us the choice. But we can only make the choice if we truly believe that it's possible to make the choice. And as I said, the majority of the church does not believe that is possible. And so they don't even try and make the choice. They just ignore that particular passage of Scripture and they try and gloss it over because you know it just doesn't register on their thought process. 
But as you meditate on it and think about it and allow God to convince you about His Word on the subject and become fully convinced in your own mind on the subject, you can then begin to apply your faith to it and walk in it. Let's have a look at another scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. And obviously I, I, I skipped verses in between, otherwise it would be too much to read. Uh, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul was saying, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and, again, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. Verse 24, And those who are Christ's have, past tense, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so we've already dealt with on this passage of Scripture on numerous occasions already that the Spirit and the flesh are two complete opposite ends of the scale. They're against each other. And the Holy Spirit keeps counseling the church, keeps counseling the believer, walk in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, don't walk in the flesh, walk in the Spirit. He gives us the choice. It is our choice how we're going to walk. But He would not counsel us to do something that we could not do. And so we certainly have the ability to walk in the Spirit. And if we do, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so flesh, sin, spirit, righteousness. And so, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer on that issue as to if you want to walk free from sin, how to do it, you've got to walk in the Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit keeps encouraging us to do. But look at verse 24. He says, And those who are Christ's have, past tense, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does that mean? It means that we have died to sin. Crucified the flesh means that this, the flesh has been hung on the cross with our Lord Jesus Christ. For he took upon himself the sin of the world. My sin was placed into his body and his body was crucified. And so at the same time when he was crucified, my flesh was crucified as well. That is why he talks about it in the past tense. For those who are Christ's have past tense crucified the flesh. So it's not as if the flesh is so powerful that I've got to now try and work out how to overcome the sin in the flesh and I've got to really exercise um, my willpower to overcome uh, sin in the flesh. Not at all. It's a case of, it's all past tense. Jesus had done it all. And because he's done it all, I need to now walk in that. How do I walk in that? I have to first be convinced that I can first convince myself through the Word of God that it is, it is a done deal. It's a, a, an act that has taken place. I have died to sin. I have crucified the flesh. So all of that is past tense. It's been done. Once I get my mindset around that, now I can believe, wait a minute, now that that's God, what's left? Righteousness. Walking in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what's available to me. And now I believe it and I confess it and I act upon that and when I do that's my faith now the power of God is released in me and the hope of glory in me Christ Jesus begins to transform me the book of Romans again and Corinthians sorry teaches us that we are being transformed from glory to glory uh, in, even into the image of his glory that is present tense that's happening in this life that we are being transformed from glory to glory and so what God does is He makes us become more like Jesus with each and every passing day. And so all Christians, their lifestyle 
must be progressive. We should be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday, and far more like Jesus today than we were a week ago, and a completely um, a new person almost today than we were a year ago, because we should be transformed from glory to glory, even into the image of His glory, which is Christ Jesus. For God has predestined each one of us, Book of Romans, to be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, the first, the very first step we have to take, if we're going to walk free from sin, known sin, stay with me on this one, known sin, we're not talking about unknown sin, but the very first step we have to take is we have to believe it. In order for us to believe it, we need to meditate upon the scriptures in the Word of God that deal with the subject and allow Him, by His Spirit, to fully convince us in our minds that this is the truth. Once we're fully convinced on this issue, we can then and only then uh, release our faith in it and believe it. When we do that, then we release His power that enables us to, over, to walk in it and thus overcome sin in the flesh. Because He's already done it for us and He can do it through us again, once again. And so that's the first step. One of the other steps that we have to take is that we actually do need to be baptized in water. Um, now that sounds like a bit of a strange um, point to raise, but it's not. We'll see it as we go through the scripture now. Because water baptism is, very, is a key issue with regards to sin in the flesh. Don't forget, sin resides in the flesh of the believer, nowhere else. It resides in the flesh of the believer. And so it's the flesh of the believer that has to be dealt with, which translated, we, says, we said, are, is made up of our physical bodies, which includes the organ of the brain. That's where sin resides. And then the carnal mindset that we brought into the kingdom of God. The carnal mindset is the way that this world thinks. And we've all come into the kingdom of God still thinking as this world thinks, which is why we're dealing with the subject for argument's sake, that we have having to renew our minds to what God's word says on this subject so that we can become fully convinced on this issue. And so we transition our mindset from being carnally minded to becoming spiritually minded as the Word of God is open to us. And in this particular instance, we're talking about uh, walking free from known sin in this life. And so another step that has to be taken by believers in order to walk completely free in this area is that we do need to be baptized in water. Let's have a look at the passage of Scripture where our Lord Jesus did speak about uh, this issue. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Our Lord speaking, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so, our Lord is speaking about when He says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, He's speaking about water baptism there. And so water baptism is very important for our Christian walk in this life. Now, I'm not going to get into detail about water baptism. This teaching is not an extensive teaching on water baptism. I have a, a series that deals with it in far more detail. Um, so we're not talking about baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or baptizing in the name of Jesus. That's not the issue here. What is the issue is that we do need to be baptized in water. Now, why do I say that? Because baptism in water 
deals with this line. Baptism in water is not an eternal issue. When I say issue, it's, it, it, it has no Im eternal impact on the Christian. What has eternal impact on the Christian is being born again. And the way we are born again is we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe that God has raised him from the dead, we confess him as Lord. When we do that, we're born again and we have eternal life. We pass from death into life and we pass from condemnation into uh, eternal life with God in Christ Jesus. And that is our eternal salvation taken care of right there. That's eternity taken care of. Water baptism does not impact my eternal salvation at all. So if I, as a believer, ne never baptized in water, I will still spend eternity with my Lord Jesus Christ. It will have no impact on my eternal existence. It will have no impact on my eternal reward. It will have no impact on eternity. Think about the, the, the criminal that was crucified with our Lord on, on his, I think it was his right hand side. Um, uh, he believed in the Lord while he was on the cross, while he was dying on the cross, and our Lord says to him, this day you shall be with me in paradise. And so, water baptism does not impact salvation. So, why do we need it? Why am I saying that water baptism is important for this uh, series that we're dealing with, steps on how to walk free from sin? It's because water baptism deals with the physical bodies that we dwell in. Now, don't forget we said that the, the, the sin of the flesh is in these physical bodies. And so we have to deal with the, the sin that resides in these physical bodies. Now, one of the... the, the faith is, is the crux of the whole issue. We have to believe what, I, what we've dealt with up to now. But we also have to be obedient. Um, because if we choose to disobey the Lord in this area, well, then we've now stepped out of righteousness into sin. Because we said right at the outset that sin is disobeying God. And one of the, the commandments that the Lord has given is that Christians should be baptized in water. But we're trying to understand just why it is that the Lord wants us to be baptized in water. Now, there are a number of reasons we do publicly confess Jesus as Lord before witnesses and that, that, all of those reasons. But I'm dealing specifically with overcoming sin in the flesh and dealing with sin in the flesh. And from that aspect, that's why I'm dealing with water baptism. Because that's what water baptism does. It deals with this physical body that we, do, that we live in. So let's understand how it actually works. We've, we've said right at the outset of this teaching that when we are born again, before we are born again, our old man dies. Now, let's go into the natural. When somebody physically dies, what happens is their inward man departs from their physical bodies to either, if they're a believer, to go to be with the Lord, if they're an unbeliever, to go into hell to torment. But what remains behind is the physical body. Now the physical body drops down dead. It has no life in it. But nevertheless, that body remains. It does not depart with that person to go wherever the person went. They leave their bodies behind. And so that's what happens when someone dies. And so what do we do with the dead body once the person has left? We take that body and we bury it. We have to bury the body. We don't just leave it lying wherever the person dropped down and then it'll eventually decay, leave it alone. No, people take that body and they bury that body. Now, when we are born again, 
our old man dies. That inward man has died. He hasn't departed, he died. But when he died, that body that he was dwelling in remained behind. He didn't, the body didn't die at the same time. Now the new man has come, and the new man is now dwelling within the same body. Problem is, is that the new man is dwelling within the same body that the old man dwelt in. And so we actually do need to be doing something about the body that the old man dwelt in in order to give the new man a new body. Now, that's what water baptism kind of does. Now, it doesn't happen uh, physically. So God doesn't now, when we baptize in water, transform our physical bodies from an, uh, a sinful body to an our body of righteousness. That's not what happens at all. It's, this, it's an act of faith. We bury, that's what water baptism is for under the new covenant. We bury the body of the old man and we raise up the body of the new man so that the new man can walk in resurrected life. Now, it, again, it does not mean that when the body is raised out of the water that there's no longer sin residing in that body. There is. But what has happened is that it's, a, it's an act of faith of burying the old man's body and raising up the new man's body so that the new man can walk in newness of life. And it has the effect of releasing the power of God in our lives so that we can all walk free from sin in the flesh. You say, well, that sounds kind of technical. We're going to have a look at some scripture along that line. I just wanted to explain the technicality behind it as to why we baptize and bury our old man's body. That's what water baptism is in the, under the new covenant. It's death for the old man dies. It's burial, burying the body that he left behind and resurrection, raising the new body up in faith because the new man now resides in a new body. Um, and so by faith, we can now release our faith to walk in free from sin in the flesh. And we'll see the scripture along that line. First scripture we'll look at is in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 7. Uh, the Apostle Paul is teaching us about water baptism primarily in this passage. And so that's why water baptism deals with this life. It has no eternal ramifications. Water baptism, that's why it's not vital that one be baptized in water in order for one to be saved. Not at all. You can be saved without being baptized in water for your whole Christian walk. You can die and go to heaven and never be baptized in water. It won't, it won't impact. But water baptism does have an effect on this life because it deals with these physical bodies that we dwell in in this life. And that is also, if you go look at water baptism in the, the, the book of Acts, uh, how they practiced water baptism, you will find that the early church always baptized in water straight away. So the moment that the individual came into the kingdom of God, one of the first things that happened is that person was baptized in water. The reason was for that happening at, at that time is because the early church understood the concept we need to get rid of the old man's body and raise up the new man's body so that he can walk in newness of life. Um, and so they didn't want any hindrance to uh, prevent the born-again believer from being able to walk free from sin in newness of life. And so that's why the burial took place straight away and resurrection took place straight away. Um, I know under the new covenant, you know, someone gets saved, uh, new covenant, under the church today, by and large, somebody gets saved and they might only get baptized in water a year later, some, some guys, I don't know, 10 years later, as they finally give in and say, all right, baptize me in water. But the church, the early church, 
all the accounts in the book of Acts. As they got saved, they were baptized in water straight away. It wasn't because it impacted on salvation, but because they understood that buried, we need to bury that body straight away. Don't walk around in a dead man's body, because that's in fact what, what we do when we don't baptize, get baptized in water. The old man's body is, we're still walking around in a dead man's body. And so we need to bury it and raise it up in newness of life. So the scripture is Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 7. Again, it's all attaching faith to the act that, that empowers us to walk in it. So it's not a ritual. It's not just a case of, well, I just need to do this. You actually have to believe what's taking place when you do it, because that then again releases the power of God. Uh, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now that's talking about when we were born again. The old man was baptized into the death of Christ. Verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Now then he's talking about buried with him through baptism. That's water baptism that he's talking right there into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. And so the water baptism is so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. That's not talking about when we receive our resurrected bodies. That's talking about present tense. And so when we baptize an, a Christian in water, we are um, doing away with the body of sin that that old man dwelt in. And we are raising up um, a new body that they can walk in newness of life. And so that is the purpose of water baptism. The Apostle Paul confirms the truth to us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, talking about these physical bodies, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so that is what we do. God in, in the Spirit performs the circumcision made without hands, because that's God. He does the circumcision made without hands. But we do this part. We bury the old man. We are buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through faith. And so when we come out of the water, we're raised with him, through faith. So it's not talking about when we will be raised. We don't get raised on the day our Lord returns by faith that God will just do automatically. But we're talking about in this life when we're raised out of water baptism, we're raised with Him by, through faith. And so that's a, again the very first step that we need to be taking if we're wanting to overcome sin in the flesh. Because we need to be we were sons of disobedience, we're now sons of obedience. Our Lord has commanded that we should be baptized in water, and so that's what we do. We obey Him. But we do it because of our understanding of why we're doing it. We are burying the body of the old man who has died, and we are raising up a new body by faith for the new man who has come, that we may walk in newness of life. 
And that's the reason why we do that. And so Christians who refuse to be baptized in water will always struggle to overcome sin in the flesh because they've got this one area where they have been rebellious. And, you know, that, that sin is going to just hang on to them. And they will always struggle to overcome sin in the flesh. So that's one of the other things that we, we're talking about, the various steps we need to be taking in order for us to overcome sin in the flesh, walk free from known sin in this life. Firstly, we have to believe it. Secondly, we have to be baptized in water. Thirdly, we have to walk in the Spirit. We need to walk, uh, uh, practice this walk of walking in the Spirit. Again, let's go back to that passage of Scripture which we've, we read before, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And so it, it is very self-evident that Christians that learn to walk in their spirits will always walk in righteousness. Christians that continue to walk in their flesh will always walk in sin. They have no choice in the matter because the flesh is sinful in nature. The Christian who chooses to walk in the spirit will always walk in righteousness. And so the, the Christian needs to learn to walk in the Spirit. And that is, a, it's a walk. So when we walk, you put one step in front of another, you take one step after the next. So it's not just a case, well, I'm going to decide today, I will now walk in the Spirit for the rest of my life. And that's it, now I'm going to walk in the Spirit for the rest of my life. No, we walk for the rest of our lives. And so every single step we take, we purpose to walk in the Spirit. Every day, when we get up in the morning, Lord, I'm going to walk in the Spirit today by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that I may not walk fulfill the lust of the flesh, but that I may walk in righteousness. And so it is a, a lifestyle that we choose to walk in. Now, how do we do that? We do it by setting our minds on that lifestyle. Again, you know, the Christian walk, the spiritual walk, is also a walk in a re renewal of the mind. So let's have a look at what the, the scripture says along that subject. Romans chapter 8 verses 5 to 14. Scripture says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's for all born-again believers. Um, but if you are not in the flesh, but in... If, if, sorry. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, that's all about unbelievers. Verse, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God. And so the very first step that we take in order to walk in the Spirit is to think on the things of the Spirit. For he says, those who walk in the, in the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
Those who walk, live according to the Spirit, according to the uh, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He doesn't say that he set the things of the Spirit, but he's, he's implied. Set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And so it is what, our, what we think about and how we think that determines how we behave. And so we need to be focused in our thought life. We need to be concentrating on thinking about the things of the Spirit, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And so we, at all times, we need to be evaluating, well, am I, what I'm doing now, am I doing it in love, or is this the flesh now, I'm having it, uh, uh, it's saved through me? And if it is the flesh, well then just stop it, and I will know I choose to walk in the Spirit. And so it's what we think about that determines the way we will behave. And we need to then, therefore, set our minds on the things of the Spirit that we may walk in the things of the Spirit. And when we do that, the power of God is then released in us. Because he says for, in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's talking about the Holy Spirit who enables us to put to death the deeds of the body so that we can live and walk thus in the Spirit. And so we need to learn to walk in the Spirit. That's, that's the, another step that we have to take in order to walk free from sin, known sin in this life. Because if we're going to set our minds on the things of the flesh, guaranteed we're going to walk in sin. If we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, guaranteed we're going to walk in righteousness. Now, Getting back to that passage of Scripture again about the fruit of the Spirit, let's have a look at it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 24. Scripture says, But the fruit of the Spirit, and that's talking about the, the born-again human spirit, is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we already touched on verse 24. But I wanted to touch on the fruit of the Spirit in this passage of Scripture. He lists nine specific fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is exactly that. It is fruit. Fruit does not grow overnight. Fruit takes time to, be, to produce. The seed gets sown. The, sap, the seed becomes a sapling. The sapling becomes a tree. The tree produce the branches, the branches then in turn produce the fruit. All of that takes time. And so fruit does not grow overnight. We need to be spending time uh, allowing our spirits, because it's called the fruit of the Spirit, allowing our spirits to grow stronger so that we can walk in the fruit of the Spirit and produce much fruit of the Spirit. But it's that, that last fruit of the Spirit, the ninth one, that we need to be concentrating on. And that is the fruit of self-control. And so it is a fruit of the Spirit. When our spirits are strong and are producing the fruit, one of the fruit that our spirits will produce is the fruit of self-control. Now, what is the self that we're wanting to control? It is the self of the flesh. Because we are told to no longer walk in the flesh and fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The Bible teaches us that uh, we're to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And so I need to be exercising self-control over my flesh so that I can walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And so that particular fruit needs to be developed in the life of the believer if they're going to walk free from known sin 
in this life. Now there's two um, terminologies that are used in the church today which are unfortunate because they're not scriptural. Now they're close to being scriptural but they're not scriptural and because they're not exactly the Bible, um, God's not really involved in them. Let me just explain what I mean. There's two statements. The one is that you hear very often in Christian circles, we need to die to self. There is nowhere in the scripture that says we need to die to self. The Bible does teach us that he who is in Christ, and we read it in verse 24, has, past tense, crucified the flesh. So you, you, once something has died and has been crucified, you can't go kill it again. And you cannot go crucify, you can't go dig it up and crucify it again and then bury it and dig it up and crucify it again. You can't kill something that has died, raise it up and kill it again. Once something's dead, it's dead. Once something has been crucified, it's crucified. And so we have seen in Scripture that we have died to sin. And we have seen in Scripture we have been, uh, uh, in Christ, we have crucified the flesh. All of that is past tense. It's done. Done away with. And we have seen in water baptism, we bury that old body. And when it gets raised up in newness of life. And so you hear the, the, the saying in, in, in the church circles very often, we need to die to self. Now what they're trying to do is they're trying to crucify the flesh. And they're trying to, well, that's what they're, they're trying to do. But you can't do it because the flesh has already been crucified. You can't keep crucifying the flesh. What the scripture does tell us is we need to exercise self-control. And so we need to walk in the fruit of self-control. The Bible tells us, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible teaches us, make no provision for the flesh, book of Romans chapter 13. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And so we exercise the fruit of self-control. We do not die to self. Because if we try to die to self, that is a, a, a carnal statement. That is a natural worldly statement. That is not something that is taught in the Bible. Now, God can't get involved with that statement because it's not His Word. His Word teaches us to exercise self-control and to keep our bodies under. His Word never teaches us that we need to die to self. And so, we just need to be careful about these statements that get made. You hear another, script, uh, another statement that gets made in the church. He needs to increase and I need to decrease. Again, that in both of these statements, what the Christians have realized is that there is a sinful component to them. They just don't know how to do it. And so they've come up with this term called, well, we just need to die to self. If I can just die to self, well, then I'm gonna, I've got it made. Um, but you can't die to self because you already have died to your old man. The new self has come. And so you can't die to the new self because the new self is the born-again believer who is... Uh, righteous and you don't want to die to that person you want to live to that person you want to live to God and so this other one that comes up he needs to increase and I must decrease now again they recognize that there's the sinful component to them and so they, they're saying in effect they're trying to say that God in me needs to de increase and my, my flesh needs to decrease now they don't know that this, that, that's what they're saying because they don't really recognize the spirit and the flesh um, but that's what the Bible teaches us, that our spirits can grow, increase, but our flesh can never decrease. There's no place in the, the scripture in the Bible that says that the flesh can decrease. And so what they do is they take John's comment, John the Baptist, 
when uh, the, uh, they pointed our Lord out to John that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, his own disciples said that John made the comment. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. He was comparing the Lord's ministry with his ministry because he, his, his ministry was drawing to a close and the Lord's ministry was about to begin. And so that's where he was comparing. He was saying his ministry must increase and I must decrease. My ministry must decrease. Um, and so that's the context. So what the Christians do is they take that over into the new birth and they say, well, now God must increase and I must decrease. Again, God's not in that statement because there's no, nothing scriptural about that statement. And as I say, there's nothing in the Bible that teaches us that we can decrease. Um, so, you know, these are nice religious sounding statements, but they carry no power in them at all because it's not the Word of God. God watches over His Word to perform it not over our statements to perform it. So we need to be mindful about these issues. If we're going to walk in the power of God, we have to walk in the Word of God, for God releases His, word, his power through His Word. And so what the Bible does teach us very plainly is that we need to exercise self-control. We need to walk in that fruit of self-control. That is what the Scripture does teach us to do. Um, and so the Apostle Paul learned that truth, and he taught on it on more than one occasion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, talking about himself. Now, this is an apostle who is very mature in the Lord and uh, is very anointed of God. But nevertheless, he still had to keep his flesh under control. So he was not that spiritual that his flesh was not a non-issue in his life anymore. His flesh was still there. He was still residing inside that physical body and had to, that flesh had to be dealt with. And he dealt with it by exercising the fruit of self-control. And so he says, yeah, but I discipline my body, not his spirit, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And so Paul recognized there's a, if a Christian allows their, their flesh to get away from them, they're on a very dangerous road. He says, lest after I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Disqualified is not a good thing to happen to a believer. We're not going to get into that today. But nevertheless, the first part of the scripture, he says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And so that is what Paul practiced as his Christian lifestyle. So we're under grace, but we also live disciplined lifestyles. And so it's through the fruit of self-control that we keep the flesh under control. And we do not allow the flesh to have free reign in our lives. We walk in the Spirit and we choose not to walk in, this, in the flesh. Another scripture we can look at, Paul, again, he links righteousness with self-control. It is impossible for the Christian to walk in righteousness unless they are exercising the fruit of self-control. Those two walk hand in hand. It's when we walk in the fruit of self-control, keeping the flesh under, that we're able to walk in the Spirit and thus walk in righteousness. In Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, um, the Scripture says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Verse 25. Now as he, talking about Paul, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. 
Felix was afraid and answered, go away for an hour. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And so here the Apostle Paul was witnessing to Felix about the kingdom of God. And he spoke to him about the righteousness, the righteousness that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. But he linked it directly to self-control because that's the the, the points that he raised. Righteousness, self-control, and then he spoke about the judgment to come. But those two... um, Concepts are linked together. One cannot walk in righteousness unless one walks in the fruit of self-control. It's a disciplined walk, this Christian lifestyle. It's not the the. It is not a an easy walk for the flesh. Peter says it this way: He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The flesh does not enjoy a, a righteous lifestyle, because the Bible talks about the fact that the flesh. Find sin pleasurable, book of Hebrews. Um, Moses you know, d- uh, denied the, 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 the sin of the flesh, uh, the pleasure of, of sin. And so the flesh likes to walk in sin. It does not like to walk in righteousness. The spirit likes to walk in righteousness. It does not like to walk in, in sin. And so that's why the two are always against each other. So if you walk in righteousness, believe you me, your flesh will suffer. And so we do need to exercise discipline over it. And then one last scripture we'll look at on this particular issue is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. The scripture says, Do not deprive one another except for consent for a time. Why? That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. How can Satan tempt you? Because of your lack of self-control. And so that's one way Satan can tempt us is if our if we're not we don't have a strong fruit of self-control, he Satan tempts us with our flesh, our fleshly desires. Um, uh, James says it when we are all um, drawn aside when we are tempted by our desires, and he's talking about our fleshly desires. And when when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is made full grown, it it brings forth death. And so it is our fleshly desires that tempts us to draw us away from righteousness. And it's only the fruit of self-control that brings it in check. But if the fruit of self-control is weak, well then Satan can tempt our fleshly desires. And so we do need to be spending much time in the Word of God, growing our spirits so that they can produce much fruit the fruit of self-control, so that we can walk in it. And so those are the steps that we wanted to look at today. We need to believe what the Word of God says about the subject, that we can, in fact, walk free from sin because we have been made free from sin. We need to be fully convinced in our minds about the issue. We need to be baptized in water so we can deal with the, the body of the sins of the flesh of the old man and raise the, the, the body up in newness of life for the new man. Um, we need to walk in the Spirit. Um, and so how we do that is we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. It's what we think about that determines our behavior. And so we need to co- concentrate on our thinking and make sure that we're always thinking along the lines of the Word of God. And then we need to exercise the fruit of self-control. We need to allow that fruit to grow uh, in abundance in our lives so that we can keep our flesh under uh, and bring it into subjection, even as the Apostle Paul did if we do those steps, we will walk free from known sin in this life. Um, and we'll go through in the next teaching, we want to look at some examples of saints who in fact have got this right so that we can follow after them in their footsteps. So we're going to end the teaching on that particular point of Amen.